many doubted we'd ever see it, but here it is. The return to glory. McDavid stops up. What a move. Shoots. Scores! Hey, everybody, and welcome to The Outsiders. Bryn Griffiths along with Robin Brownlee. It's podcast number... Very good, yeah. I, I if I didn't have it written in front of me, I would completely have forgotten because these are just flying by. So you'll catch me one of these days. <laughs> well, I don't even know where to start. Let's start with uh, the Edmonton Oilers, who appear to be starting to falter just a little bit. They uh, they had a come from behind victory over the Washington Capitals, which was impressive. I I was a little disappointed with their effort on Sunday afternoon against the Florida Panthers. I just didn't. Now, Florida to me, Robin, and, and give me your thoughts on this. I think Florida's got a better team. I think they performed to their level. I thought the Edmonton Oilers were dopey and sleepy and never, ever were in that hockey game for the most part, and it was just a weird game. You know what? I can't disagree, Bryn. I, I didn't like them a bit. And the, the thing that's coming out for me and it's not new uh you know there's been people commenting on it around town uh at oilers nation the site i write for depth scoring depth scoring oh, where's yeah. the where's the secondary scoring you know what i like the people for the most part that ken holland has brought in i think they've been Good to very good defensively, especially when you consider some of the work on the PK that these bottom six guys do. But I tell you, last night, they were a train wreck. Um, the 2 nothing goal, I watched Jujar Kara, who's got to be spotless defensively, as do bottom six guys. If you're not going to score goals, the coach will live with it if you're not getting scored against the problem in this game is that they got scored against and Jujar Kara, a player I like and who I do too. two years ago, I thought maybe was ready to not become a top six guy, but to establish himself to me, he struggled mightily and he goes casually skating over a uh, diagonally through the slot last night uh, towards big Brian Boyle who had a chance to toe drag double clutch and have a cup of coffee by the time Jujar glided over there casually like it was a Sunday skate on the pond. And you can't do that when you're a bottom six guy. They weren't good enough. And, you know, I tell you what, Dave Tippett was not happy last night, and I'm not surprised. And not to really overly pick on Jujar Kara, but you know what? Your expectation levels and my expectation levels have been elevated yes. over the last year or so. So he's standing out to me, and he's a big boy. I don't think he's a fast enough skater, but he's a big boy. So he can still get into the corners and muck it out with the best of them. And if he's given the opportunity, he should be able to put in the odd goal. And you're right about the uh, bottom six. And the bottom six last year was the number one story for me. People talked about how soft the goaltending was last year. For me, the bottom six was an absolute showstopper for them. This year, I think they've got better talent there. But you talked about the fact that you don't want to get scored on. The other big issue for me is that you're also there to chew up time. You're there to take some time off the clock. Don't get scored on, but more importantly, can you find a way to kill some time off the clock? And right now, I think they're struggling a little bit with that. But they have a three-game road trip ahead. They have Detroit on Tuesday night, Columbus Wednesday night, and Pittsburgh on Saturday afternoon, which is an NHL feature matchup with, obviously, Connor McDavid and Sidney Crosby. Maybe it's a good thing to get out of town for a little bit here on a short three-game trip. And they also have a big gap between the game Wednesday and the Saturday afternoon game in Pittsburgh. By the way, Pittsburgh's one of my favorite road towns. I don't know about you, but I always love going to Pittsburgh. And I know people have this image of Pittsburgh. But really, uh, I've always had great meals there. I've, it's, uh, it, it's not quite the steel town I thought it would be. But anyway, I'm happy to see them going on the road. Well, I tell you what, they better win that game in Detroit because I don't know if they get another two points on the back end of, of that trip. I tell you what, it's funny you'd say that, Bryn, about Pittsburgh. I always enjoyed going there, but we went 
to Pittsburgh uh, on one particular trip where the city was paralyzed. They literally had a two-foot dump of snow. Now, it's kind of a winter city. They get their share of winter there. Heavy, wet snow. So it's not like, oh, what's this white stuff? But I remember, and these were in the days before everybody had a, a camera in their phone. I brought a camera with me on the road, and I've got this picture of Tommy Sallow walking 20, 30 feet ahead of us with the full overcoat, the scarf, and the igloo in the background all covered in snow and frost. <laughs> it's a terrific picture, but I tell you what, you weren't getting any, we were walking from the hotel to the rink because nothing, I mean, nothing was moving. They played the game and it was all good, but yeah, I love Pittsburgh, especially when they had all the stadiums and buildings uh, crammed together there on the, on the, uh, uh, Riverbank. So yeah, Pittsburgh's good, but it's not going to be a fun place t- for the Oilers to go unless uh, they get their act figured out here. One of the things that's starting to bother me a little bit, and I don't know if I'm alone on this one, and feedback from you and anybody who's listening would always be more than welcome. All you have to do is drop us an email and uh, you just have to send it to uh, mightymouth at shaw.ca. But one of the things that's starting to bother me over the last week or so is I'm getting tired. Of the uh, of the Neil Lucic overanalyzation of this trade, are you, are you at this point yet? Where everybody after every game they want to do a breakdown and analysis of how did Lucic do, how did Neil do, and then they want to continually try to say, "Oh, our team did better than their team." And you, I, is this going to go on all season? Social media, Bryn, it is <laughs> the biggest time waster there is. Now, that's not holier than thou. I waste plenty of time on social media, but it is the new age, I don't know what. Um, Talk, you know, the days when you used to just talk to people on the phone, killing time. You know, you can, you talk to people on a phone? Well, you can do that actually when you're not taking pictures or texting. Yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of a cool feature. Novelty. You know, I'm tired of a few things when it comes to this kind of thing, and I'm glad you asked it because now you've triggered me. Okay. I don't give a crap about comparing what Milan Lucic is doing uh, to what Neil is doing. They're different players. Hey, they unloaded the Lucic contract. He may bring them something they need in terms of toughness. Neil is certainly delivering uh, what... They were hoping he would when Ken Holland made the deal. But I'll tell you what, it's a bit of a joke. Well, yeah, Milan Lucic will bring the toughness and he's leading in penalty minutes. Yeah, good. We know what Milan is. I wish him good luck down there. Of course, other fans would say not too much luck. But he's a good guy. Yeah. You know what? You let him go. You don't strafe him uh, as he's heading out of town. That happened a bit. It's always disappointing, but there's people who want to get their shots in. And he wasn't good enough here. He didn't earn his money. Everybody knows that. On to the next obvious thing. Let them play. I don't want to hear anymore about how Jesse Pogliarvi is tearing it up. Oh, there's another one. In the Finnish League. Spare me. I don't need a game-by-game report. That doesn't mean... I don't hope for the Oilers' sake that he does tear it up because he's already said, I don't want to play for you guys anymore. I don't take it personally because I'm not an Oilers fan. I just covered the team for a long time. But for the good of the Oilers, he said he doesn't want to come back. That's fine. So, yes, tear it up. It raises his value. You still never get back full value for a failed guy picked that high. But, yeah, go tear it up, Jesse. But, you know, and, and, you know, there's a guy in town, and it's tongue-in-cheek, I get it. But on some of the fan boards, oh, yeah, look at this. And, oh, his points don't mean anything because it's beer league or— Oh, that's not a beer league. Yeah, they mean everything uh, because it's a great league. You know, the truth, as usual, is somewhere in the middle. No, it's not a beer league. If you went and and played in it— uh, and you were a decent beer league hockey player, you wouldn't be averaging a goal a game. I think he went seven games in a row with. So, either way, whether you hate Pulyarvi or you love him and you think they've made a big mistake and you're dying for him to wear an Oilers jersey again, not going to happen, by the way. Don't need to hear about it all the time. But you know what? Unless I uh, 
deactivate my Twitter account, I'm going to. It comes with social media, but I those are two things I grow weary of. Okay, well, let's just stay with Pugliarvi then here for a minute because I'm I'm a believer that sometime in the next few weeks he's going to get dealt. Really? And, yeah, I just I I have this strange my spotty senses are tingling on this one that I think he's going to get traded away. And it would not surprise me. However, you and I both know that the value they'll get for him will not be the value that's perceived by Oilers fans. And you know what? That's just not just Oilers fans. Usually the home team fans always value their players a lot higher than the value is truly worth. Mm -hmm. And I just don't think they're going to get back what they think. But I do suspect that he's going to get dealt. And I think the trade might be a little bit bigger than just Pugliarvi going to this team. I'm starting to sense that maybe there's something else in the works. Like I said, just talk to people that I know. You and I both know a ton of people. The, you know where I get a lot of my good information from? Are from people that I know who work at NHL teams away from here, in the Eastern Conference, mm-hmm. who hear things. But I'm not hearing any names other than the fact that they believe that there's probably something coming. Well, I tell you what, if they can clean that up and get something reasonable, and that's open to... Uh, different expectations yeah. of what a reasonable is. You're never, not never, but you're seldom going to break even when a player picked at four, picked that high, has said, I no longer want to play for you. Yeah, that's that a immediate, and I don't blame the kid, him and his agent. Yeah. You know, they. it's better for the Oilers if they don't say that, but the agent and the player need to worry about what's better for them, I think it diminishes the value. Because guys just wait and say, look, he doesn't want to play for you, so here's what we're offering. Um, Hey, if he gets moved, good for the Oilers. Maybe he needs a fresh start. I'll say something now, and I don't know the kid uh, as well as I used to know some of the players uh, on the beat days, I question, and it's not lighting him on fire as he leaves town. It's not to the degree of of a nail Yakupov, but when I look at Jesse, I have my doubts about whether he can play at the National Hockey League level within the team concept. Do I think he's big? Yes. Do I think he has some attributes, uh, a nice shot at times? He's got a bunch of the tools, and here's a cliche for you. I don't know if I see the toolbox that allows it to all come together in one place and play within the team concept. If I'm wrong, good for the kid because he's not coming back either way. But I have my doubts. We'll see. It's funny, uh, and I remember this vividly. It was the final game at Rexall Place. We were all there. We all knew it was going to be an emotional evening. And I sat, uh, when I worked with the Oilers in the public relations department for five years, I sat in the one corner. I always sat there. And my job during the game was to watch for pucks going into the crowd, right? I, I And then I would also would look after making sure the TV interviews went off smoothly during mm-hmm. the intermissions. But I really had no job, no real responsibility during the game other than just to sit in. If somebody got hit by a puck, I'd go downstairs and check to see how they were doing and, uh, you know, do the public relations stuff. But mm-hmm. I remember sitting up there for that final game, and I sat with Josh Green, huh. okay? And I also sat there from uh, fr- from probably the start of the game to the midway point. Sean Brown was another one, yep. Brownie. And, uh, and I said to Josh, I'd lost track of him. I said, where have you been? He said, well, I've been playing in the Finnish Elite League, and mm-hmm. I just have retired. I said, hey, well, while you're uh, while you're talking to me about the Finnish Elite League, tell me about these two Finns that we keep hearing about. Patrick Line was one, and the other one was Jesse Pugliarvi. He says, well, that Line can shoot the puck. Yeah. I think we've, we've seen that. And I said, okay, what about the other kid? Well, he's probably a little more all-round talented than uh, Line, who is really a sniper. Yeah. He's got a good shot, but he can do some different things. He, he And we talked about where the Oilers were going to be picking, and it didn't look like at that time that one or the either of them were going to drop. But but uh, he said, I think that the Oilers might be better served with uh, Jesse Pugliarvi. 
Hmm. And I went, hmm, interesting. So, of course, we're watching the draft, and everything went the way it did. And I know people are still saying, why did they take him? Well, every team had him ranked in their top yes. three. Yes. So every team would have probably have taken him. But anyway, I, 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 hope, I hope the good things happen for the kid. It's going to be tough. You could never walk. After you say you don't want to play for a team anymore, it sounds – and you've been in the locker rooms and so have I to the point where players will view that as he's quitting on us. Yeah. Uh, you know what? And you're right, Bryn. I hope I hope Jesse Poliarvi uh, grabs onto a career and hangs on for many years. By for, As an outsider and not being in the room uh, as a beat guy, and even a beat guy isn't in the room all the time. Oh, the only thing... The only people that know exactly what's happening are the players. You know, we can, did Jesse fit in? I don't know, and I'm not going to pretend so. I'm not going to hint that he didn't or that he did. Only the players know. For whatever reason, it didn't work here. For whatever reason, he's made it pretty clear he no longer wants to play here. I can think it's jumping the gun, so can you. We can call it bad advice not forgetting that the agent does work for the player, for whatever reason, he's gone. So that's how it is. Um, wish him wish him well uh, as a person. He's got that big dopey smile, that, that clip of him eating pizza. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean. Look at him playing kid with the kids on the outdoor rink over at, what is it, Crestwood? Is he a different bird? Yeah. yeah. Is he a bit of a different bird? Maybe. You know, maybe. I don't know. So what we do know is he doesn't want to play here anymore. What we do know is the Oilers at least have a better chance of getting something closer to what his return should be if he plays well. So torch him over there, Jesse. Uh, score a goal a game for the entire season, and good luck wherever you end up, man. Okay, before we depart, and coming up on the program here in a couple of minutes, we're going to be chatting with Mitchell Blair from CKRM ah. Radio in Regina because they had a rather sizable event in the Queen City. They had, they had a Heritage Classic, yes, another one. We can give our thoughts on whether or not we are fatigued from these Heritage Classics. I don't want to say too much more about that. We'll get into that with Mitch coming up in a little bit. I've started to watch casually, and it's really weird how I've had a complete disconnect with the with the game of baseball this summer. I don't know why. I used to love just kind of keeping an eye and seeing how everybody was doing, and then my interest level would really start to pick up as we headed into the month of September. Mm-hmm. It just hasn't been there for me this year, and I don't know why. I didn't watch... Uh, I, I didn't watch any of the, uh, the I didn't watch the wild card games. I didn't watch any of the divisional games. I didn't watch the American or the National League Championship Series even. And I, that, that to me would be absolute must see TV. But I've started to watch a little bit of the uh, World Series, and it's been fascinating because it has not been a Homer series at all, completely. And and uh, we'll see where this one goes down the stretch as it heads back to Houston, but. I, I've uh, started to become a little more intrigued by this series simply because nobody can win at home. The other thing that uh, watching it made me think about is games and calls from the past. Do you have like have you have you been a big baseball fan at all? Like, did you watch as a kid on television or anything like that? Do you, do you oh, remember yeah. specific home runs that that stand out for you? The Carlton Fisk Stay ah, Fair yes. home run where you can see the shot from down the third base line of him sort of sidestepping towards first base, but waving his arms, stay fair, stay fair. That, at Fenway. Yeah. You know, Bryn, it's funny. Uh, as a print guy uh, in the journalism biz, that was my bread and butter, but I always appreciated great broadcasting. And back in the day before you just clicked on it to get it online, I would buy... Uh, those CDs you could get about great calls in sports, whether it was secretariat blowing away the field, you know, soccer, hockey, um, the Canada Cup, no matter what it was, I always, I love, some people just brought it. We talked about this in one of our first pods with With Chris, Chris Cuthbert. Chris Cuthbert. They are unforgettable to me and you just hear them and they still send 
shivers down your spine. So yeah, baseball and baseball is so difficult to call. Well, I shouldn't say difficult because in the big leagues, it's different. I go back to triple a having covered the Edmonton trappers here for six years. You know, it's not the big leagues. The hotels aren't the same. The travel's not the same. And guess what? The radio crews aren't the same. You are on your own uh, in every market I remember, and you know them like I do, Bryn. Al Coates used to call those Trapper games, and I tell you what, you had to be a storyteller because, man, there was a lot of time to fill in the game of baseball as the pitcher was stepping off the rubber and scratching his nuts or adjusting his glove or whatever. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of dead air there, and to do it on your own, that's an art. Well, you know, and one of the guys who was an absolute artist, I would say he's one of the masters, would be Vin Scully. Oh, and, yes. And you know what? So it made me think about 1988, and that was, uh, that was magical when this happened. High fly ball into right field. She is gone! Here it comes. Kurt Gibson. Now I'm going to tell you right now. I cut that down. Yeah, I cut. I, I cut that down to that. Vin Scully, and it was a Dodger Stadium. Remarkable piece of drama or theater. But Vin Scully didn't speak for almost two minutes. He let the crowd, and this was on television. Yep. He let the crowd speak, and then he comes back with that. I, he, I it, it gives me goosebumps. That's now. There's a guy. Who wasn't just a play-by-play guy. He was an artist. He, Vince, you you know, I can't disagree even in the slightest, Bryn. You can shut your face once in a while as a broadcaster and let the moment speak for itself. And that's one of those. People are standing. They're beside themselves. There's literally two of everybody. And (laughs) you let the moment speak for itself. And, And there's... That pregnant pause, well, that's more than a pregnant pause. That's two minutes. Yeah. I, I cut it down to about maybe a minute. And you're looking at me like, okay, all right, okay. I'm saying, well, wait for it. Hang on, here it comes. I've, those are the kind of moments I used to, used to have to send your check in <laughs> snail mail and wait weeks to get that box with that one CD, the latest volume of great <laughs> broadcasting moments. I had those, I kept those for the, for years and years. And I, I got rid of them from one move. I don't know if it was from the lower mainland up to Kamloops or from Kamloops to Edmonton. When I came here in the late eighties, somewhere along the line, I lo- I would never sell them. I misplaced that collection. Now you can hear them all online, but yeah, oh, yeah. I love that stuff. Hey, one more too. And, and I don't know if it's as magical as the, uh, the Gibby home run in 1988, but let's go back to 1993. Now the 2-2. Well hit, double up there, way back in. Different type of broadcast, still on television, mm-hmm. not prepared to let the crowd speak. Just had to jump in, but it was still a magical moment. Great Canadian sports moment. Uh, back-to-back championships for the Blue Jays. Anyway, uh, just a little baseball reflections for me. And Joe Carter running around the bases and hopping around oh, yeah. like a little kid on a sandlot. What a terrific moment, huh? Yeah, pretty fantastic stuff. Okay. You're getting a lot of us today, and you know what? There's a reason for that, because you've asked that we speak a little more than we have normally, 
And here we are just sharing some moments. And basically, we've got our feet up here. The only thing we do not have, because we tape early in the morning, it's way too early for a beer. <laughs> but if we could have one, probably would have one just sitting right here as we kind of uh, just reminisce a little bit about sports. But like I said, going to chat with Mitchell Blair from CKRM when we come back. So uh, keep it right here. Pro-Am Sports is Edmonton's home for sports and entertainment memorabilia. Featuring unique collectibles and apparel, we've got you and your fan cave covered. Pro-Am Sports, located in Edmonton at 12728 St. Albert Trail and proamsports.ca. Mitchell Blair joins us from CKRM Radio in Regina, the Queen City that had a rather sizable event happen. It was a Heritage Classic. Yes, another one. Hey, Mitch, how you doing? I'm doing good, Bryn. Yourself? We're doing great. Robin and I have just been chatting a little bit about all these Heritage Classics. This is a little different, though, this one, because first ever neutral site game, and it looked like it just went off perfectly. Uh, you, you couldn't have asked for a better environment uh on it was funny because on friday here it was 17 degrees and when the teams went out to practice it was just gorgeous and then a cold front came sweeping through it brought some snow and everything on saturday morning when i woke up the winds were gusting at about 70k an hour now you know what those prairie winds are like so it was cold uh but Thankfully, the game was a night game because the wind died down and about 20 minutes before face-off, some snow started to fall. They got those big, giant snowflakes. I'm sure you saw it if you were watching on TV. It just had that atmosphere that you want for a game like this, and the players loved it. Uh, A couple of guys in the chat said it was the best ice they've played on all season, which I sort of thought was a surprise. But, yeah, it was just a night to remember here. Uh, another chance to showcase Mosaic Stadium. And it got the debate going as to whether or not Saskatchewan could support an NHL team. If that was to happen, it would have to obviously be up in Saskatoon because of Saskatchewan Center. I'm not sure that could happen. I think it's just a lot of people just sort of wishing, but it was a night to remember. Uh, I don't think the NHL will ever come back here in my lifetime for an outdoor game. Uh, They could certainly come back for a regular season game, but it was certainly something to cherish. Well, Mitch, as much as we like to make fun of uh, Saskatchewan and uh, (laughs) fans in general, mostly because of the Rough Riders and the highway filling up with combines and the like. (laughs) You've seen it all. Saskatchewan fans really, if they buy into an event, they're all in. Talk about the atmosphere leading up to the game, around the game, outside the stadium, inside the stadium. I know what it was like here in Edmonton back in 2003. Yeah, so do I, because I just warmed up about 20 minutes ago. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But but this was very well received by everybody, wasn't it? Oh, sure it was. And the city of Regina really got into it. They proclaimed the week leading up to the game as Hockey Week. They were telling people to wear their hockey jerseys around town. And throughout the week, you you could walk around downtown Regina and see people wearing... Oilers, Garb, Flames, Jets, Team Canada, Canucks, Knights, you name it. Uh, Regina Pats, Lustra Warriors, uh, you know, you name it. You could see it. And then on Friday, uh, you know, you could start seeing. It was funny as the week went along and you started seeing the, the rink take over the stadium. And I started calling up Mosaic Arena and it's like, this place is going to look so cool. And then Friday, of course, you get your first look at the way everything is going to look and we're doing our show from, from Mosaic stadium and you've got Jeff Moskaluk and the Hunter brothers, uh, you know, getting ready for their uh, opening ceremony. They're, they're practicing as, as while the flames are getting ready to go on the ice. And it was just magical. And then on Saturday you get into Everett's place and the amount of people there, uh, it was flames, jerseys, jets, jerseys. As I said, a lot of jerseys, Leafs, hats, there obviously was something going on in Saskatchewan, but you could do it if you go to the grocery store. Uh, there were people wearing rider jerseys. Uh, it was just something to to behold. And while it won't be hockey in November of 2020, it was a very good scene as to what it will probably look like at Everett's Place when the Great Cup comes to Regina next year. Mitch, one of the things that made it so magical here back in 2003 was the novelty of the game. And it was a real novelty. 
you know, that's when the toques started with the yep. Habs and and the the glass fogging up and freezing and all the things that were so new about it. I mean, outside of the college game at Michigan, this was, you know, the first one. And it wasn't sort of a, a game in a box. Here's your ice plant. Everything's, you know, pre-assembled and everybody knows what they're doing because there's been a bazillion of them it was holy cow this is cool this is just like the old days on the pond how much of that novelty remains uh speaking for regina because while we've seen a million of them on tv now is there something to be said for it being the first time in that town yeah it is and i'll be the first to admit uh you know i was at that game in 2003 I froze my you-know-what off just like everybody else did that day. Uh, it's funny, you know, Gary Bettman said the other day that they had that first game in 2003. It was so cold that they said it worked. Let's keep doing it. Um, <laughs> I was one of those that, you know, yeah, okay, I've seen an outdoor game at Wrigley Field. I've seen an outdoor game at Fenway Park. I've seen, you know, a game at Dodger Stadium. Give me a novelty. Give me a reason why I want to watch this instead of just two teams playing outdoors at X Stadium. When it's in your stadium and you get to see it live, it is something unique. Uh, as I said, that atmosphere, I don't think you could recreate that if you tried. And just to have those two teams, and it was the perfect two teams to have. I know a lot of people wanted to have the Oilers here, obviously, for a lot of reasons, including the fact that I think Regina is still an Oilers town. Uh, but having Calgary and Winnipeg right in the middle uh, of where Regina is, it was just perfect. And for the NHL to come here to embrace a province that has meant so much to them, people really got caught up in that. And I think, you know, I'm not the only one that probably thinks, yeah, the day of the outdoor game is, is dead. But to see it in your own backyard, it really revived the, the spirit of the game. Mitchell Blair joining us from Regina today. You know what? You just hit the nail on the head. Three or four years ago, I, I'd lost complete interest in in these outdoor games because when you're at the first NHL one and I'm like you and like everybody else, I, I froze my ass off as well. But you know what? I, I don't know what flipped the switch for me and you just nailed it. And that is that the game is no longer for me watching it from Los Angeles or the game is no longer for me watching it in Pittsburgh or it's for Pittsburgh. It's for Los Angeles. It's for Edmonton. Those games are, are market-driven for those specific regions. And if I want to watch it, the league's got to be thrilled by it. If I don't watch it, I don't think the league even gives a shit. I think they're just happy to get into markets and tip their cap to the hockey fans in those communities. And so my 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 whole view on these games has changed completely. And, and you just basically said it. It was a wonderful it was a Saskatchewan experience based on how many players that province pumps out. Yeah. And, you know, we had, you know, I guess maybe one of the, you know, and I don't really want to say it's a negative, but, you know, there were a couple of guys like Travis Hamannick played for the Moose Jaw Warriors. Josh Morrissey played for the PA Raiders. None of the players on either team were from Saskatchewan. You know, had Ryan Getzlaff been here, had Jordan Eberle been here, you know, and I just use those two names as a, you know, for two of the Saskatchewan players that play in the league. Had Braden Shen been here? Had Tyler Bozak been here? Uh, there probably would have been more of a buzz. But the fact that you had the Flames and the Jets in a province that has contributed so much to hockey, and they played a video uh, before a Chamber of Commerce luncheon that the NHL put out. And I don't have the numbers in front of me. But just about how many players have played in the NHL from Saskatchewan, how many goals they have scored, how many penalty minutes, how many Stanley Cups. You know, I think if you were to go and look at the rosters of every team, you would find a Saskatchewan connection, whether it be by player, mm -hmm. front office, scouting staff, uh, you know, something like that. And, and it just shows you how important Saskatchewan is to the National Hockey League. Yeah, absolutely, Mitch. I mean, you know, well, and the Prairies in general. I mean, when you're talking... Uh, Edmonton uh, and Calgary, uh, you know, and the latest game in Mosaic. I, I went down, I saw the one here, of course, because I was one of the beat writers for the Oilers then, and we know what that day was like. We had the the uh, crazed loon streaker at 30 below who risked losing his junk altogether when it's that cold. <laughs> it snapped off. Um, you know, I went down to Calgary 
for the Flames one, and I remember talking to Mika Kiprasov in the dressing room after, and he was still frozen solid, and he's from a winter country. Uh, what happens next, Mitch? How do, again, we talk about once it gets to a town, whether the novelty's worn off to watch it on TV, to that specific town, the novelty remains. But where does the game, where would you like to see the game go from here, whether it's in format or location, whatever? What's next? Oh, man, that's a great question, Robin. It's, you know, it's one that you have to sit down and look at because right now, I like the NHL the way it is. Uh, you know, I, I have no problems in watching the game. I know that some people do have, you know, their criticism of it, but I love the young stars doing what they're doing. I love the way they market themselves. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing where they go to in Seattle. Excuse me. Um, you know, people want to see the NHL in Canada. They want to see more teams. And obviously, you know, Quebec City, Hamilton, I think Saskatoon would be in that mix, but I just don't see the NHL having any desire to expand past 32 anytime soon. And if you do that, then you water down the product. So I don't know where the NHL goes from here when it comes to outdoor games, when it comes to what they want to do. Uh, certainly this was a unique thing with, with Regina being a neutral site game. And it's the first neutral site game we've seen for quite a while was what first neutral site game in Canada, outdoor game. Um, it's a great question. It's one I really have a tough time answering right now. You know, it's, it's interesting too. And you just uh, rattle off three Canadian cities. So Quebec city's got a new arena, but right now both Saskatoon and Hamilton do not have NHL arenas. And you would have to build new facilities in both of those two communities. If you were even going to remotely uh, appeal to anybody to move or shift a franchise in the National Hockey League. We've seen it here. Your arena eventually just runs out of of the ability to generate additional revenue, right? You've got to, you've got to have X amount of suites, and you've got to have X amount of this and that. So the, I guess the question is, and now we've kind of veered into a different topic when we talk about Saskatchewan, and that is, is somebody going to be able to step up and build something new there? We have a we we've always been waiting to watch Halifax get a CFL franchise, the Atlantic Schooners. But sooner or later, somebody's going to have to build a football stadium, and they're not going to do that either. Yeah, I, Brent, I I would love to see the NHL come here at some point, and I know that you know years ago it just about came to Saskatoon. I just with the economy being the way it is with the oil and gas sector on this downturn, I don't want to get into that. Uh, I just don't know right now if there's enough deep pockets in Saskatchewan to make something like this happen. And, you know, it's why I often say the timing of the construction of Mosaic Stadium was perfect because if they had waited two years, we might still be at Taylor Field. And if we were at mm -hmm. Taylor Field, we wouldn't have had fans coming in to watch a basketball game. We wouldn't have had an international soccer friendly. We wouldn't have had um, the Memorial Cup coming here. Uh, you know, we wouldn't have had what happened here on the weekend. So it was timing. And if that day ever comes that, the, that we pull out of the economy and the oil and gas sector jumps back up, maybe we have some deep pockets, but I just don't see it happening anytime soon in Saskatchewan. You know what, Mitch? I, I'm with you 100%. And you know what? I mean, you don't like to veer off outside the sports realm, but we can say whatever the hell we want. This is our show. <laughs> I say build that bloody pipe. Let's get this industry because, you know what, people who rely on oil and gas have taken an absolute shit-kicking over these mm -hmm. last several years. And I'll tell you what, if we can get this industry turned around and with all the things that go with it now responsibly uh looking at the bigger picture but let's get that economy back where it needs to be because i mitch i'm convinced of one thing and i know saskatchewan my family hails out of places like birch hills and doramie saskatchewan you know some small places if you can get the industry and the economy to the point where you get the building, and that's a big get, but if you get the building in place, 
The people in Saskatchewan will support that team. They'll sell out that rink. I guarantee it. It can be a regional game, a regional team where people from Regina, people from Saskatoon, put the building wherever it makes the most sense. Davidson. The Rough Rider fans in football have shown this. This would be the provincial team, and it would fly if you could get past the initial cost of that building. Tell me I'm wrong. Robin, I don't disagree with you. The only thing I will disagree with you on is this. The support that the Saskatchewan Rough Riders get, as you both know, is second to none in the CFL. Right. And would it be as fanatical as the Riders? I don't know if it would be just for the fact of the season. Because would you get season tickets and risk having to drive up Highway 11 or down Highway 6 or whatever and risk life and limb on a 30 below night. I don't think that would happen. Um, obviously you don't have that problem in the, in the summertime coming to rider games. Uh, would you go on a Wednesday night at seven 30? Uh, you know, when you've got to be back at work the next day, there are rider fans that complain about Thursday and Friday night games here because of that. Uh, it would succeed, but I don't think it would be to the level that the Saskatchewan rough riders succeed. And obviously mm. the team would have to be a winner very quickly because we know even as, as diehard as what rider fans are, if they're five and thirteen, there's a lot of tumbleweeds blowing. It's funny watching the event on Saturday night. You know who I thought of? Bill Hunter. I just thought yeah, I, ju- I, I yeah. thought a lot about uh, Bill, who I had the pleasure of. My office when I worked at the Oilers was right next to Bill's office. And so anytime I was ready for a coffee, I would grab a coffee and I would knock on his door and Bill would be in there. And and if you've got time to chat, yes, come on in, sit down. And he would just regale me with all these stories. And, I, and I'm sure they change frequently. We've heard these uh, stories many, many times. But but Bill really wanted that St. Louis franchise to move into Saskatoon. And I, for some strange reason, uh, Bill, Bill was the guy I thought of when I was watching that game. You know, it's funny that you bring that up because I never thought of the name. And I know that Gary Bettman discussed very briefly the other day about expanding to Saskatchewan and he talked about, you know, that how, how Saskatoon had, had tried to get the blues and the league just wanted to keep a franchise in a market like they have, you know, you take a look at Arizona, mm. um, you know, how they just, they're diligent in keeping it in the place where they are and they don't like to relocate. But it's funny though, that you bring that up because I never at any time thought of Bill Hunter, but I'm sure that had somebody mentioned his name to me on Saturday, I probably would have been the same as you. You know what, Mitch, it's funny. I just went on beating the drum for Saskatchewan and you brought up the midweek games and driving. I had I covered the World Junior Championship oh. out at Sask Place. Oh. And you want to talk, that was Saskatchewan winter. Oh, the yeah. whole time we were there, you know, there were busloads of brass monkeys leaving town. And <laughs> I tell you, I had to make the drive from Saskatoon uh, down to Regina because there were a, uh, there was a game or two down there, and you're right, it was uh, an interesting drive. A white knuckle, mm-hmm. a white knuckle drive. And I know, uh, yeah, I mean, a bunch of the reporters. I went down with a radio guy, but yeah, you're, you you might have a point there, but ugh, man, I tell well, you, again, I'm just thinking this. Like, let's just say you had a team in Regina, okay? And let's just say, you know, the Washington Capitals just roared through Western Canada mm-hmm. and they were coming to Regina and you would have people that would want to see Alex Ovechkin and Braden Holtby and, you know, uh, the Stanley Cup champions from a couple of years ago. Yep. And you'd have tickets from people around the province, Swift Current, Weyburn, Yorkton, uh, Saskatoon. And then all of a sudden you wake up and it's 25 below and you're going to get five to 10 centimeters of snow is watching Alex Ovechkin live in person that important when you know you could watch it on TV? And that's where I think that it would suffer. If it's a game in July and the riders are playing, you're going to be there because you don't really have to worry about the weather, but you do in the wintertime. And that's why I think it would be awfully tough in Saskatchewan to have it succeed the way that the Oilers have succeeded, the way that the Flames have succeeded, the way that the Jets have succeeded. It's funny. I just got a note as we're, uh, you know, as we're having our conversation here from Ray Morrison up in Saskatoon, another guy who's been around an awful long time uh, and has watched a lot of sports in Saskatchewan. And uh, I wasn't surprised by the response. 
that the National Hockey League got out of Regina at all. You know what surprised me a little bit, though, is as much as we all love to take a look at that stadium because it's, uh, it's a pleasure to look at, I'm still surprised, and it, and it almost shocks me a little bit in the fact that it only seats 33,000 when it looks like it's way bigger than that. They did not want to basically put a 40,000, 45,000-seat stadium in here and then not have it sell out. They want to have it. You know, they, they did the market, and the, what Taylor Field was, what, just under 30? Yeah. You know, there was a little bit more of a, of a demand because of the new stadium, but they didn't want to have it where it was going to be you know, a 45,000-seat stadium where only maybe a market-driven if you'd get 35, 36 and have many empty seats. So I think in that way, uh, you know, that demand is there. Uh, you know, games have been sold out in the past. I'm sure that they're, you know, I don't know what, what it's going to be like for Saturday here when the Riders have a chance to clinch first place when they play the Eskimos, but I'm hoping it'll be a sellout. But would you have 40, 45,000 people here for that? Probably, probably not. Probably not. Yeah, yeah. And, and there's no Hemorrhoid Hill anymore in the southeast corner. Well, Pill Country's a pretty good replacement. Is it? Oh, it's apparently it's something else. <laughs> apparently it's something else. Uh, the last home game, um, or no, when the last home game, it's been so long since they've been at home. Uh, apparently a young woman was kicked out five minutes into the football game because she wanted to uh, to show part, parts of her body to uh, to people around her. And was uh, was promptly kicked out, uh, but uh, yeah, it's uh, and that's sort of like Section Twenty Eight in Hemorrhoid Hill, the old place. But uh, yeah, Bell Country apparently is quite the place to be. Wow. Okay, like the Rum Hut in Winnipeg. Yes. Yeah, I get yes. you. Hey, uh, to kind of quickly switch topics because we don't have a ton of your time today. Uh, let's talk about the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and the season they've had. I think a lot of people knew they'd be very competitive, but uh, but this is impressive what they've put together this season. Uh, yeah, it sure is. And you know, I sort of joke about it, and maybe it's not a joke. The biggest play for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders this year might have been the third play of the year when Simone Lawrence hit Zach Caleros. Because yep. I don't think the Saskatchewan Rough Riders would be anywhere close to where they are right now if Zach Caleros were the quarterback. Uh, Cody Fajardo came in. He looked bad that first night against Hamilton. Uh, I remember Craig Dickinson saying when they went into Ottawa that they were going to give Fajardo and Isaac Harker some reps and see who took the job, and we've never heard of Isaac Harker again because Cody has taken the job, and he's run with it. Uh, he has become, you know, Saskatchewan's favorite son. He signed the contract now. Uh, I don't know how this season is going to end, but it's certainly been a season for Cody Pajardo, uh, and I couldn't be happier for Craig Dickinson and Jeremy O'Day because I think a lot of people were wondering about the fact that Chris Jones left so early or left so late before the season started uh, Jeremy O'Day was basically parachuted in. They didn't really maybe get a chance to do the search they wanted because of this ridiculous coach's cap, so they brought Craig Dickinson in. Uh, you know, would Paul LaPolice have been the head coach at Winnipeg given him permission? We'll never know the answer to that. Mm-hmm. But I, it, it's so good to see Jeremy O'Day and Craig Dickinson, who are two good guys, succeeding. So I think a lot of people didn't think they were going to, especially when Caleros went down because people weren't crazy about the quarterbacking situation when Caleros came back. So... To see them doing what they're doing, it's been amazing. I don't know where this ride ends. I somehow seem to think that we're going to get a repeat of 2009 with the Riders and the Alouettes going out of McMahon Stadium, where hopefully this time it's a better ending than the last one. Well, Mitch, even if they don't get that far, I'm with you. I think the Rough Riders are the story of the year for some of the reasons you've listed. Changes in the front office, changes in co- in coaching. Caleros is going to be the guy. Oops, three plays in. Well, he's not going to be the guy anymore. Fajardo comes in, takes a little while to settle in. But ever since then, I mean, I re- talked to some of the Eskimos last week before the game here. And to a man, they talk about the job he's done. You break down the film, you study the guy. It was bizarre that they hadn't played the Rough Riders till this point in the schedule. But he really has been tremendous. And I tell you what, just his demeanor and the way he plays, he's a perfect fit for that team in that province, isn't he? Oh, you couldn't say it any better. Uh, he is just loved by people here. Now, I don't know what happens when, you know, when he has a couple of bad games in a row, but he has just ingrained himself in Saskatchewan and some of the things that he does, you know, the night after the, the Thursday night game here when the exhibition was on and he said he's going out to get a corn dog. And, uh, he's just so yep. personable <laughs> and, and everything. And he just, you know, he got his truck broken into here a few weeks ago and he's like, you know, the guy enjoys what he got. 
you know, we were sort of joking, well, you're one of us now because you've gotten your car broken. You're doing it. <laughs> uh, you know, um, it's, he just is. He's just the guy that bring, you know what it's all about. And Robin, I'm, I'm guessing, you know, you might know what this is all about as well, but you know these these uh, sports dinners that small towns have? Oh, yeah. Like, are you not going to tell me that Cody Fajardo, if you tell me that Cody is coming to my small town dinner, that you're not going to go? People like, will he's going to be the most popular man in Saskatchewan this yeah, winter. People will go anyway, but you're absolutely right about that. Yeah. You know, Darian Durant was down in Weyburn, like, you know, last year, uh, and Darian's been gone for how many years? And they sold out the place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because they love Darian Durant. They, they love Cody Fajardo here. Like, it'll just be amazing. There'll be people who'll come from all around just to hear Cody Fajardo speak, get your picture with him, shake his yep. hand, beat him, uh, because he's just that type of individual. Hey, uh, it's, not, it's not necessarily public, and you may not know. Uh, we know what Mike Riley got to leave the Eskimos and go out to BC. What kind of dough is Fajardo getting on this two-year extension? Do you know? The rumor is, and of course you know that it's not, uh, you know, nothing's ever certain, but Farhan Lalji and, uh, and Justin Dunk have both reported it was $450,000 per year. Uh, what I don't know is what he could get with bonuses. That's nice dough. It is nice dough. And there are some that are saying, you know, that maybe he could have got more had he leads this team to the Grey Cup. There are others that are saying that's a, a good deal. And there are others that are saying, you know what, yeah, that's nice, but he got to prove it to me in his $450,000. Uh, you know, you're going to have to prove that you can do it another year, that you're not just a one-year wonder. So. And, and that's exactly the point I was going to get to here, is that I, as much as I have respected what he's done this season, this is only the first year for him. Yes. Like, what happens if the wheels fall off next year? I guess we'll find out, because we know that Ryder Nation can turn on a heartbeat if things yes. don't start going well, <laughs> yes, hey, especially man. when they see the, the, the price tag uh, attached to your performance. So, I, I know. you know, you bring up a great question, Brent, and it's even more <laughs> important because 2020 is a great cup year. Yeah. And if the Riders come out of the gate next year and say they start 0-2 like they did this year, tell me there won't be a little bit of heat in Cody Fajardo in the front office. Hey, come on, you guys! You're like doom and gloom here. He's a <laughs> he's a great fit. Let's not wait for the wheels to fall off and for the cart to end up upside down in the ditch on fire. The kid's a great story until he proves otherwise. Okay, let's, let's go with it, huh? All right, fine. Yep, no, I'm with you. I'm with you. Hey, Mitch, uh, we got to wrap things up here, but I got to tell you, you know what? You just hit the nail on the head for me. One of the most fun parts about the four and a half years I spent there in Moose Jaw was traveling all around the province. I, I remember experiences in all these small communities. The only place I never really got to, and I, I always wanted to get to Climax. Please. Uh, <laughs> hang on a second. Uh <laughs> Maybe you need to get some more blue pills in your system, my friend. Have you, have you been out to Dildo in Newfoundland, too, bro? No, no, I haven't. That place sticks out, though, for me. Uh, anyway, oh, okay, all right. This is, this is more than enough. Just stop. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thanks for your time. I'm glad everything went sensational. And uh, and how are the Pats playing? Um, we'll, we'll discuss that next time. Okay. And and my beloved Moose Jaw Warriors? Man. Uh, they're okay. Yeah, okay. They're okay. All right. Yep. Hey, uh, thanks for your time, Mitch. Anytime, you guys. Thanks, Mitch. See ya. Fresh air and fun. Experience it all this summer in a new RV from Carefree RV. Trade up to the perfect bunk model from reputable brands like Winnebago at Forest River. So many floor plans and payments starting at just $53 bi-weekly. Plus, one free year of CoachNet warranty on all RVs. Carefree RV. Open seven days a week in Edmonton and Leduc. Online, carefreerv.ca. Carefree. Okay, so we're wrapping this baby up today. Hey, you know, we've been talking, and it was enjoyable talking with Mitch because he brought up a lot of memories for me about the Western Hockey League. And I thought of one, and you uh, you covered the Kamloops Blazers, and I was the voice of the Moose Jaw Warriors for a few years. And I remember one visit that the Blazers made to Moose Jaw with a guy named Tom McMillan on the bus. <laughs> Tom was a longtime writer with the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette who is – now the VP of communications with the Pittsburgh Penguins. And he traveled, 
he wanted to see what this Western swing was like because I think Rob Brown was Rob Brown not a draft pick. Brownies, yes, for, he was a draft pick of the Pittsburgh Penguins. So there was a lot. At, what, what was Recky? Recky also, yeah, later. Okay, after Brown. A- anyway, they did this road trip on the bus. So you have this uh, this beat reporter who covered the Penguins who wanted to do this Western swing. Because those, you know, everybody talks about, oh man, those uh, those Eastern swings for the Western uh, teams and those those uh, Western swings, uh, it, the Eastern swings for the Western teams. Uh, you know what I'm saying? It, it's a long time on a bus to get anywhere, and I always remember him just enjoying the atmosphere in Regina and in Moose Jaw because everybody was so welcoming. And I, that's one of the things when we're talking about this Heritage Classic is that people in Saskatchewan are very, very friendly, still still have some great memories there. Not only did I cover hockey, I had the rodeo beat in the summer, <laughs> right? So you'd go into fun little places, Gravelberg, Pontex, Swift Current had a big rodeo at that time. So it was always kind of fun just to get out there and, and see what the province was all about. What was the old tour then? Because I did some rodeo. I don't know if you got it. Um, in Moose Jaw, it was the it was the Dodge Copenhagen Rodeo Tour for years. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Earl Seitz, who is still in Kamloops at the TV station there, all these years later, he was Mister Rodeo. I didn't know a darn thing about it when I went to my first one. He walked me through. Earl is still on the t- on TV in Kamloops, but you're right. You know what? Those trips across the prairies. I tell you, I remember before I came to Edmonton, and you remember this guy, we had a big city reporter from Edmonton come out and want to do something on the Blazers. Mike English came out. Oh, yeah. And did something. And we were all the way out in the uh, at the Keystone uh, Center in Brandon then. <laughs> and it was, it was Jeff Arnold. Rodgers yes. and Paul Cruz oh my God. beating the shit out of each other in a punch-in-the-face contest. No defense right at center ice happened on that trip. So, you know, and there's a lot more stuff, and and, and some of what happened on the bus is going to stay on the bus. Yeah. But it's a little bit of Canadiana for anybody who's uh, had the privilege to be part of it either as a team member a play-by-play guy like yourself, a beat guy who used to jump on the bus and sit beside Ken Hitchcock, uh, uh, you know, in those front seats. It's a whole different world. And a lot of that world is in the Prairie region and in Saskatchewan. That's why when I talk about a game like the Heritage Classic, hockey is so ingrained in people in the prairies. I'm not going to disagree with Mitch because he knows his audience better than I do. And those drives can be a pain because he tweaked me when he mentioned that. Yeah. The drive I had to make on a minus 35 day from Saskatoon to Regina. But I tell you what, a lot of people make those drives anyway to smaller rinks around the prairies. I still think it would fly there. Maybe it's nostalgia. Maybe it's wishful thinking. I'd love it. It's not my money, so I'd love it if they'd give it a try. You know, you just mentioned the Keystone Center in Brandon. I know we got to wrap this up here in a couple of moments or so, but the moment you mentioned the Keystone Center, I don't know what it's called now, and it's uh, they they fixed it up, but it was an ag center, an agri- because they would always have their agricultural yeah. shows there and everything like that. And when you mentioned the Keystone Center, the first thing that comes to mind, and I always knew that I'd be welcome to Brandon with this. You'd get off the bus the moment you stepped off the bus, you took a big deep whiff, and uh, the 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 cow shit was. Uh, the, I'm telling <laughs> yeah, you, I know. It was like it was like a. a you, I, there's no words to describe it. It's uh, it just would take your breath away, and you would run down the ramp as fast as you could to the where the the mm-hmm. locker rooms were, just to get away from it. But I. But uh, I still have some friends there. Rick Dillabo, who's been with the Brandon Wheat Kings for such a long time. It was a, a great place. But every rink across the West, for sure. And even some of the, uh, you know, some, some of the other arenas, too. Even when we went across on the other side of the Rockies, every arena had its own unique specialness and, and the people in it. So, Well, yeah, I tell you what, maybe uh, we can talk more in another show. Maybe we should 
leave on the little bit of beautiful nostalgia that is cow shit at the Keystone. <laughs> yeah, it was a, it was, a, it was really, really special. And like I said, I'm not knocking the place because agriculture and rodeo are just as much in part of Western Canada as as a hockey was. It was a, it was a fun, fun time for me. Hey, Robin. Next week, Craig Button right yeah. now looks like he's going to be joining us on the show, which will be fantastic. Looking forward to, to talking with him. You can also email us at mightymouth at shaw.ca. Honestly, I'm not kidding. If you send me an email, we're going to get right back to you. It's as fast and as quickly as that. Uh, we, we really do appreciate your feedback. And the other thing, too, we appreciate people telling people about the fact we have a podcast up and running. So if you... Uh, if you get an opportunity, retweet or go on Facebook or do whatever you have to do, uh, Instagram, and tell everybody that this podcast is out there because it keeps growing week by week by week. And yeah. and, it, and uh, so, you know, the other thing, too, is that we're going to be having some opportunities from a advertising standpoint coming forward as well in the next little while. So we'll get into that a little bit later on. But this was a blast today. I really, I really enjoyed this one today. Well, I'm going to go now and see if I can get the furnace fired up. Good luck with that, and uh, I'm just going to try to forget about that smell at the Keystone Center. Have yourself a great week, everybody. The proceeding was recorded earlier because we were ashamed to do it now.